Well, good morning. How's everybody? Good. Thanks for joining us online. If you're joining us online, I'm sure you're doing great too. Uh, my name is John. I'm the teaching pastor here. And thank you for being here as we finish up this series, Blank Must Fall. As we look at what are the things in our lives and in our world that need to fall in order for more and more of God's kingdom to be present in this place and around us. And uh, before I get into it, I always forget that not everybody always knows my story. So I'm a single uh, foster dad to three little boys. Start praying for me now. Right? <laughs> uh, and so uh, I'm going to tell a couple of stories about them. So that just kind of gives you some background and insight into them. Anybody ever notice with their kids or grandkids, they love to like collect stuff? Yeah. It's like, do you not have toys at home? I'm pretty sure we have like 47 bins. But no, they're going to pl- collect pine cones and sticks and rocks. Why? I don't know. And uh, the other day, my youngest, we were at the park, and he uh, found this rock, and he ran up to me and said, Daddy, look! Daddy, look! Yes, and it's a rock. Can I keep it? <laughs> sure. Because I don't know where you'll ever find another rock ever again. <laughs> so he put it in his little pocket, and he kept it, and I didn't think about it the rest of the day. And um, my youngest, he, his bedtime routine's a little excessive. Uh, so, you know, we do the normal tuck them in, do the prayers. Daddy, will you check on me? I'll check on you. And I leave, and I go upstairs to tuck in his brothers, and then he sneaks upstairs to hide in the closet and pop out and go, boo! Every night. <laughs> and I go, ha ha, Ethan, you got me. Okay, go to your, go back to bed. Okay, Daddy, you check on me. I'll check on you. And then I go down, and I check on him. I check on him. He talks for about 10 more minutes. Okay, Ethan, and I close the door while he's still talking. <laughs> Is that bad of me? I'm tired, okay? And then he opens the door again. Daddy, I gotta go potty. Okay. Daddy, I'm thirsty. Okay. And finally, the one night I said, yeah, I heard the door open again and I went, Ethan! And he goes, Daddy, it's not me. <laughs> God, you, what are you talking about? And just as I'm about to turn around and yell at him, all I see is his little hand with his little rock sticking out of his door. Daddy, it's the rock! <laughs> Daddy, the rock's watching you. <laughs> Okay. Like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Like, I was about to yell, now I'm laughing, I'm still tired. Anyway, so, but it made me think, you know, what was he doing? What was he, he didn't want to get yelled at, right? He just wants more of me, right? He wants more of my time, more of my attention. And for me to yell at him when that's what he wants, it really just feels pretty rejecting. And so what was he doing? He was protecting himself from getting rejected by me by having that little rock. And that rock was the one looking at me, not him. As we think about this idea of blank must fall, you've been asked over and over again, what would you put in the blank? And today we're going to put the word rejection in that blank. I want to ask you, have you ever felt rejected? Have you ever felt rejected? Have you ever tried to protect yourself from being rejected? Rejection is one of the worst feelings we could ever experience. And it's something that I'll be honest, I think all of us, in some way, shape, or form, have experienced rejection, and it hurts. It's a painful reality. It's painful to us. Uh, Psychology Today says this, MRI studies show that the same areas of the brain become activated when we experience rejection as when we experience physical pain. Rejection literally feels the same to our brain as physical pain. So much so, they say if you are struggling with rejection, if you take a Tylenol, that actually helps the pain. That's how much our body doesn't understand the difference because that's how painful rejection is. Not only is it painful to us, it can be painful to those around us. 
uh, it also said this, the Surgeon General of the U.S. issued a report stating that rejection was a greater risk for adolescent violence than drugs, poverty, or gang membership. Countless studies have demonstrated that even mild rejections lead people to take out their aggression on innocent bystanders, school shootings, violence against women, and fired workers going postal are other examples of the strong link between rejection and aggression. Rejection must fall. It's so painful, and, and let's, be, let's be really real now. At, at the end of the day, rejection is just the painful outcome of our shortcomings. It's a painful outcome of our shortcomings, and I think what we're, when we hear that, we're going to say, yeah, I know, I'm not enough, and that's why somebody rejected me. It's not what I'm saying. If we look at this list of words that Pastor Tim's been sharing with us the last couple of weeks, and we realize all of these things that we struggle with, all these things that need to fall, that more and more of God's kingdom would be present here, what we realize is it's not that these are the reasons people reject me, it's these are the reasons I reject others. These are the things within me that I struggle with that make me reject you or that make you reject me or someone else in your life. This is the outcome of all of these other things that need to fall is rejection. At the end of the day, rejection. Why? Because we're struggling with all of our own stuff and we'd rather point to you and make you feel our pain and suffering than deal with it ourselves. If rejection is so painful for us and it's so dangerous for the world around us and we see it so many times, the real physical world impacts of rejection. My question to you today is this, what makes rejection fall? I'll give you part of the answer right now. Part of what makes rejection fall is actually you. It's you. What we're going to do is we're going to look at how does God bring a cure to rejection. And that cure for rejection is redemption. Redemption is the cure for rejection. Now hear this, redemption and not reason is the cure for rejection. So often when somebody's rejected or maybe we're rejected, has anybody ever had this where you know, you're going through a really painful time and people will try and reason you out of it? They're trying to talk you out of, oh, well, it, it doesn't hurt that bad. Or, oh, they didn't mean it. Or, oh, well, they're going through their own stuff. Does that help? No. Some of you are very hungry right now, right? You skip breakfast and you're sitting here hungry. And if I said, man, wouldn't a great cheeseburger, oh, that just sounds great right now, doesn't it? That's a double cheeseburger, some bacon, let's do that. Would you feel satisfied? <laughs> no, now you're more hungry, right? And that's what happens when we try and use reason to fill in rejection. It just makes us actually need more. Because we realize even more of how messed up we are and how much we need. And so here's the thing, redemption. The reason redemption is the cure for rejection is because redemption has a cost, and that cost places value back on somebody who feels valueless. When you've been rejected, you don't feel like you have value anymore. And redemption has a cost. My kids love to go to Dave & Buster's. And when they go, they like to earn their points. They like to go to the, the store, right, and buy something. They don't just hand you something. You have to redeem your points for that prize. The reason it's a redemption is there's a cost involved. So there's a cost in redeeming somebody. There's a cost involved, and that cost places value on them when they felt valueless. And so what we're going to talk about today is three words that have to do with value. We're going to talk about devaluing, valuing, and overvaluing. What I find interesting about these three words is I'm going to ask you to actually participate and share with me uh, how you think Jesus values, devalues, or overvalues some people. But what I found interesting is when you talk about these words, only, only one of them is positive. Am I right? 
right? Most people would say devalue and overvaluing. I don't want that. I just want to be valued. So I'm intrigued to see how you process as we read through this story in Luke chapter 7. Uh, Luke chapter 7, we're going to see Jesus interacting with some folks that honestly shouldn't have had much value to him. And we're going to see what he does. So Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 36, it's on page 864 on those Bibles in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible, you don't have a Bible at home, hey, take that Bible home with you. That's the best gift we can give you is God's Word. Uh, if you have your Bible app on your phone, feel free to pull that out as well. Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 36. And we're going to tell you, look, what does Jesus do to bring redemption where there's only been rejection? One of the Pharisees asked Jesus, and I want you to remember the Pharisees, uh, as my boys would ask in a story, are these the bad guys, Dad? Yep, these are the bad guys. Right? Not just the bad guys because Jesus doesn't like them or we don't like them. Literally, they've made themselves the bad guys. They made themselves the enemy of Jesus. Their goal was to prove that he was a liar or a lunatic and definitely not the Lord, right? Definitely not God. Their goal was to tear him apart in any way they could. One of these guys asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house. Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, if he was anything, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now catch this, it said that he said this to himself, and then Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon answered, the Pharisee answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one I suppose from whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her, Simon? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. That's why she loved much. For he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those, more of the bad guys who were at the table with him, began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said again to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to process this story. I'm going to ask you to participate in this. Process this story with me because there's a couple of main characters in this story. There's a Pharisee who I'm going to label as an elitist. In our world today, I think you can put a lot of different people in that category, maybe yourself. You're an elitist type that you think you have it all together, and you think, uh, well, you think you're, you got it all together. We'll leave it at that. Uh, and I, I'm going to ask, when you look at this story, do you feel that Jesus devalues, values, or overvalues the elitist? So I'm going to ask you, raise your hand. Anybody think that Jesus devalued the Pharisee? Anybody think that Jesus valued the Pharisee? Anybody think that Jesus overvalued the Pharisee? Okay, so we had about 12 of you participate during the whole thing. 
I'm not going to lie. You are not live streaming right now. I can see you. So let's try this again. I'm in trouble. Anybody think Jesus devalued the Pharisee? Okay. Anybody think Jesus valued the Pharisee? Anybody think Jesus overvalued the Pharisee? Okay, interesting. All right. I want you to catch this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. One of his enemies, one of the people that wanted to kill him, asked him to eat with him. If you knew somebody wanted to kill you and they were like, hey, Joe, why don't you come for a backyard barbecue? Would you go? <laughs> no. You're like, I might be on the grill, right? No. But Jesus goes and reclines at the table. Hmm. I just go, but he reclines at the table. All right, the next person is the sinner. That's all we get about her is the sinner. I'm going to ask you again. Again, you're right here. I'm asking you to participate. Does anybody think that Jesus devalued the sinner girl? Does anybody think that Jesus valued the sinner? Does anybody think that Jesus overvalued the sinner? Interesting. If we look at this, what did he say? He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's interesting. Sometimes when Jesus deals with somebody who's in a, in a tough spot like this, oftentimes many preachers, many people always point to the fact that well, he told them to go and sin no more. He gave them law. He gave them a directive. He gave, told them to go do something after forgiving them. So he still gave them law. In this story, there's none of that. Jesus gave her grace and then gave her more grace. It was grace upon grace, right? Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Grace and grace and grace. No directive, no command. No different action for her to live out. It's interesting. So then my question for you is this. Does Jesus undervalue, devalue, value, or overvalue you? What do you think about that? And again, you're in front of me. I'm going to ask you. <laughs> Does anybody think Jesus devalues you? Anybody think Jesus values you? Anybody think Jesus overvalues you? I got my work cut out for me. You know why? Because it's so easy to think that valuing is the word we want to hear. Because we all want to be worth what somebody else is willing to pay for us. Well, I would challenge you with this. If we look at the story, I think Jesus actually overvalued the Pharisee and overvalued the sinner. Again, this Pharisee wanted to kill him. He was part of the group that, was, that would kill him. Eventually they did. They won. They succeeded. And yet Jesus goes and reclines at the table with him. He gives of his time. Valuing the Pharisee, I would argue, would be say, no thank you. Devaluing would have been just to ignore him altogether. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? No, I'm not going to come and eat with you. Valuing would have been thanks, but no thanks. What did Jesus do? Jesus goes and hangs out with the enemy. Even the girl that's a sinner. What does Jesus do? The girl comes and she washes Jesus' feet and she comes and she treats him way better than even the Pharisee did. But that girl's a sinner. That girl didn't apologize for anything. She didn't say she was going to change her ways. I mean, how would you have liked to be known? That's all that you're ever going to be known for is that you were from the city and you were a sinner. That's all we get about her. And yet Jesus speaks words of forgiveness to her. 
Does she deserve it? That would be her value. Right? What, what did her value earn her? Her value er, earned her condemnation. Her value earned her, well, stop doing what you're doing. Get your life together. What are you doing? Stop washing my feet and go stop doing what you're doing. Stop having the trouble that you're having. That would have been her value. That would have been valuing her. Jesus, Jesus looks at her and overvalues her. And the line from the story that he tells, that gets to me, is when he says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt. Because ultimately, that speaks to the value he has for you. So think about this. Everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody raises their hand that Jesus values you. I'm going to be the bad guy here and say Jesus overvalues you. Jesus overvalues me. You know how I know that? He canceled our debt. Jesus looked at us and the sinners that we are, and he traded his life for mine? I'm not even worth you trading your life for me much less God himself giving his life for you, for me? We call that valuable? I would call that way overvaluing me. I'm not worth Jesus. I'm not worth him doing that for me. Jesus, what are you thinking? I mean, this was Satan's original problem with God. God, what are you thinking? You love these humans? How puny and weak they are, and you're going to do that for them? He knew the plan. You're way overvaluing them. And here's the reality, we hate overvaluing because of our own pride. And we want to think that we are always worth what somebody is going to give us. But the reality is, overvaluing is only unwanted unless you want the overvalued benefits. Let me ask you, if your boss came into your office and said, or came into you at work and said, hey, look, we've done the math, we've done the research, and you, you have a value of $10 an hour. That's what you're worth. That's what you're worth. You're worth 10 bucks an hour. But you know what? For no reason at all, we just want to be generous. We're going to give you 15 an hour. How many of you would, have, how many of you would reject that? How many of you would go, no, no, no. You are not going to overvalue me. You keep that extra five bucks an hour. No, what are we going to do? We're going to thank you very much, and we leave it before they can change their mind, right? That's incredible. Why? Because we want that. That's, I'll take that value. So when I challenge you and say God, God overvalues you, take it. Take it and run with it, because what does that mean? You have forgiveness, you have grace, you have a new life that you don't deserve. Jesus overvalues you, but take it and run. Because to him, that's what you're worth. You're worth overvaluing. And even though we constantly undervalue Jesus, and here's my law for you today, even by you saying that Jesus only values you, you're actually undervaluing him. You're saying his life is worth yours. And this is my law for you today, is as you undervaluing Jesus. And here's the good news, though. Even though you constantly undervalue Jesus, he always, always, always overvalues you. And so when we look at this idea of bringing redemption where there's only been rejection, we can see it first and foremost in Jesus. Jesus brings redemption over and over again. He has brought it to you and to me through the cross. He brings it to the Pharisee. He brings it to the sinner. But I want you to think about this. At the beginning, I said that 
you are an answer to how does rejection fall. So I want you to ponder this idea that Jesus brings redemption and he brings it to us, but he also brings it through us. I think this is the most pivotal part of the text today. It says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And I think it's very easy for us to say, well, she loved much, that's why she was forgiven much. He loved little, that's why he's forgiven little. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's saying, she gets it. She gets how much she's been forgiven. That's why she loves me so much. You, you Pharisee, you elitist, you think you have it all together. So you think, well, he's, he's covering me a little bit. I'm forgiven a little bit. So you love me a little bit. My question to you today is, do you realize and do you own the fact that you don't have it all together and our Lord, our Savior, our God of the universe who created it and sustains it overvalues you to the point that he was willing to save you and redeem you and to bring you back to himself? That you would then say, man, I am so overvalued, I can't wait to love him in return. I can't wait to try and sneak into that party and just wash his feet. Think what that poor girl did. She was so excited about what Jesus was providing to her, what Jesus was giving to her. She snuck into a place she was never welcome, walking by the very people who had rejected her time and time and time again just to get down and to wash his feet with her own tears and her hair. Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. So my answer to you is, how are you going to bring redemption? That's what Jesus has called you to do. He's called you to bring value and redemption to those around you who have only experienced rejection. And he calls you to do that by just using what we've got. Using what we've got. Think about it. Staying behind him, she used her hair, she used her tears, she used some ointment that she happened to have. And she showed an incredible love to Jesus to the point that he said, hey, Simon, do you see her? She, he held her up on a pedestal where the Pharisee thought, I'm the one that should be held up on the pedestal. He thought so much of himself, he didn't even do the common decent things that anyone would have done when somebody walked into their home back in that day. Jesus points out, you didn't do these things. You weren't there for me. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't have water for my feet to be washed. You didn't, but guess what she did? She used what she's got. So when I ask you, what do you got? What do you got to bring redemption where there's only been rejection? Maybe it's a listening ear. Maybe it's a shoulder to cry on. Maybe you're really good with a hammer. <laughs> Just like, okay, no, not him. Honestly, the staff, when we first saw this picture, we said, who gave him a hammer? What were they thinking? That's okay, I wouldn't be in that picture either. I shouldn't have a hammer. But I want to ask you, what do you got? What have you got? For me, I have a platform and I have a microphone and I'm able to speak to you today and to challenge you with this, that Jesus brings redemption where there's only been rejection by using what you've got, using what he has placed into your hands, into your life, into your abilities, into the world around you to love like him. To love like him, that word, the words that he says, do you see her? 
I want to challenge you as you step into the world that we live in over and over again, you are going to pass by people who feel unseen. People who just need you to stop and see them for the very first time. And even when you go out and serve next week, like Pastor Tim said, we have 25% of the spots left. You better fill up those spots. Fill up those spots and go serve next week. Why? Because you have an opportunity to go and to see somebody. See who you're serving next week. See who it is that God is putting into your life to love like Jesus. There is something he is placing before you, an opportunity to go out next week and do that, but you can do it every single day. You can use what you've got to end devaluing. To end devaluing. Jesus said, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, you gave me no kiss, you did not anoint my head with oil. You know why? Why did the Pharisee do that? Because the Pharisee thought, it's enough I invited him to my house. It's enough I'm feeding him. He wants me to do that. I'm not doing that. How often do we get in that place? How often do we go, it's enough for them. They should be grateful. Are you kidding me? Jesus holds the center up. Why? Because we think being clean and competent is more Christ-like. So we think if we act like we have it all together, we don't need as much of Jesus. And Jesus says, look at her. You see her. Church family, I'm going to be real with you. Devaluing is happening all around you. That's happening in your world too. There are some of you that honestly break my heart with how you use social media to devalue each other. Each other. The same people you sit next to on a Sunday morning, you'll rip apart because you'd rather be right than to love. I want to challenge you every single day of your life to see where can I bring an end to devaluing and then take that next step. And then where can I use what I've got to overvalue people? What can I do? She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. From the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And she has anointed my feet with ointment. Next week, you have an incredible opportunity to not just do what's on those sheets out there. Not just do the, the tasks that are before you and think, well, that's good enough. I'm going to challenge you to see them and to bring an end to devaluing and then to bring an overvaluing love and joy and acceptance and serving to these people that you are about to go and to love in a way that maybe they have never been loved before. I'm going to challenge you to not just go into poor value, but to overvalue them. Because here's the deal. You have been overvalued And you've been overvalued not because you're worth it, but because Jesus, Jesus says you're worth it and he makes you worth it when he died on the cross for you and for me. He gives you so much worth and so much value. And it's without you having to do anything. And the question is, what are you going to do now that there's nothing to do? What are you going to do now that there's nothing to do to save yourself? Jesus has given it to you. He gave it to the girl, the sinner. That's all we know about her. What are you going to do in the days to come and next weekend to overvalue others and to say from the outpouring of what I've received, from the love that I've received, from the grace that I've received, I want to give it to you too. 
because that is how you will bring the kingdom of God in this place to this community and in your world. This is how you will bring an end to rejection by bringing redemption and putting value where there's been no value. This is the opportunity that you and I have every day of our lives. And it's a special opportunity we have next weekend. Let me tell you, not only will you impact their lives, but you will impact all of them, all of those around them. My oldest son, Kyle, turned eight on Friday. And Thursday afternoon, they've been going to a summer camp. Thursday afternoon when I picked him up, his teacher said, hey, what time are you bringing him in the morning? That's weird. So I told her, I didn't think anything of it. And as we walked up the sidewalk, they opened the door and we walked in. My Kyle has been through so much. My boy has gone through foster care rejection. It's a very real feeling to them. Walked into that room, and every student and every teacher were there to say, Happy birthday, Kyle! And there were balloons, and there were cupcakes, and there were crockpots with cakes in them, too. Like, thanks for all the sugar. And <laughs> there were ribbons, and there were balloons. There was all kinds of stuff. Why? Not just to value my kid, but man, they overvalued him. They're preschool teachers. Let me tell you, preschool teachers, here's the surprise. They don't make much. And they used what they had to buy that for my kid, and they didn't have to do that. And you know what? That not only impacted him, not only did it overvalue him, but it made this dad cry. Because my kid was loved beyond even his worth. And as you step out into your world and you interact with the people out there and then you overvalue them, that's exactly the feeling our God has as you overvalue his kids. As you step out and you say, what else can I do? Because there's nothing left that I have to do. This is the love our God has for you, but it's the love he has for every single person in this world. So Jesus overvalue you? Yeah. Thank God he does. And today we're going to receive communion. And it's another way that our God overvalues us. Where he gives his very body and his very blood to bless us, to receive yet another gift from him, to strengthen our faith and to carry us day in and day out as we make a difference in this world. And here's the thing, maybe you face rejection in your life, maybe you've gone through a lot of things, and, or maybe there's just something on your heart today that you need Somebody to join in prayer with you during communion. Our prayer partners, they're going to be coming up receiving their communion, then they're going to head to the back, and they'll be back there to pray. And if you need somebody to pray with you, I encourage you, don't miss out on that opportunity to have someone walk alongside of you and to show you the redemption that's available where there's only been rejection before. As we prepare our hearts to receive this communion, we're going to do so honestly with our God, and we're going to turn to him and we're going to confess to him those times where we've devalued, those times where we have not lived out the life God's called us to. So let's pray together now, and in this moment of silence, we'll turn that over to him. Father God, God, we thank you. We thank you that you are so, so good to us, so much better than we would ever deserve. And God, thank you. Thank you for giving us such incredible value and worth. The fact that we're overvalued by you changes our forevers. So God, thank you that you have done that for us. God, now in our hearts, we're going to spend some time confessing to you because we know there are times where we have undervalued and devalued people. There are times where we have not gone out of our way to speak redemptive words and value into people's lives. 
Maybe it's even family members or, or friends or people close to us. And God, it is time for us to confess that to you, to unburden our hearts and to free us to do the work that you have called us to do. So God, now in this time of quiet, hear our hearts. God, thank you that we can come to you humbly, not deserving anything from you, and you say your faith has forgiven you. Go in peace. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. God, we love you. It's all we can do in response is love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And hear this for you, because... What I've got is a platform and a microphone to be able to speak this truth into your life today. Maybe you think that the only thing God has ever wanted to do is to reject you. Hear this truth today. Our God, because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross and the empty tomb he left behind, defeating death itself, that was all for you. So hear this, your sins, yes, your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And God wanted that to be so real to you that he gave him himself, his very body and blood. And that's why on the night when he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also after supper, he gave them the cup and he said, take and drink this cup. This is my blood, which is a new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink of it, remembering me. And so now come, come and receive yet another way that our God overvalues you and me. The table is now ready. And now may this true body and true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may strengthen you and preserve you in the one true faith until you get to see him face to face. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace of knowing he has so overvalued you. That means you get to be with him forever. And now that you've got nothing to do, what are you going to do? Amen? So get out there, sign up. Make sure you stop and say hi to Pastor Tim and I as we're out there, the free coffee and cookies. We love you. We're here for you. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.